Precious Almighty God, we praise you. You are holy, holy, holy. Indeed, precious Lord, even the angels, they cover their faces with their wings, for they cannot look upon you, for you are too holy. Lord, you are light, and in you is no darkness at all, and we praise you. And so as we come before your word, we pray that indeed we would see our sin in light of your perfection and your holiness. And indeed, as we see of Christ as well, his perfection and his holiness. And we pray that indeed, even as we see the depths of our sin, that we would marvel at the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with us now, we pray. Give us your spirit that we may understand these truths. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. James 1, uh, verses 13 to 16. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Well, we've been looking at the uh, verses 1 to 12 in, in prior weeks, and we've been looking at the first test of true faith. It's perseverance in trials. And as we'll see here, we'll be looking at true faith. Another test is its perseverance in times of temptation. And as we've seen in verses 1 to 12, that, that trials test our faith and they prove that it's, it's genuine. And as we, our faith is tested, we persevere and we are matured and sanctified and grown in our faith and grown in godliness. So that when we die, we pass the test and we receive a crown of life. And all these things, as our faith is tested and shown to be genuine, and on the final day, we will be filled with such great joy as we look to the reward. And as we'll be looking here, we have another test of our faith, times of temptation. And sometimes these temptations come with suffering, and sometimes they come through suffering. And so we're going to be looking at several things about temptation, where it comes from, the, the source of it, what the source isn't, and what the source is, what it leads to, and why we constantly need to be reminded about temptation. And maybe you've heard the common expression where, when someone is tempted and they sin, oh, the devil made me do it. Or maybe they say, well, it's just, it's just how I've been brought up. Or, you know, th that person over there, they just, they tempted me and I just, it's them. And they, they shift the blame onto someone else. Or maybe in times of temptation, you're tempted to blame God. Well, why would God do this to me? Like, God put me in this situation, you know, and we blame God for our sin. And as we'll see, we cannot blame God. We cannot blame others. And we will see that the source of temptation is in us. And we'll look at that as we go through these verses. But as we break up our passage, the first point will be the source of temptation in verses 13 to 14. And the second point will be the offspring of temptation. The offspring of temptation, verses 15 to 16. Well, firstly, verses 13 and 14. Have a look with me. Verses 13 and 14. I'll, I'll read them again. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is by his own sorry, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. But I want you to notice first here that it's normal as a Christian to undergo temptation. It's normal. Verse 13, those first two words, when tempted. When tempted, it's not as if, you know, earlier it said, um, uh, or elsewhere it says, do not be surprised when you come upon trials of various kinds. We're not to be surprised by trials and we're not to be surprised when temptations come upon us. We're to expect it. And not just expect it, we're to watch out for it. Because if we don't watch out for it, we will succumb to it. And the thing is, we're to expect it because the devil loves to tempt believers. He loves to tempt believers. I don't know whether you, if you've ever thought about this, but the devil loves to tempt everyone, but he loves to tempt believers even more. Why? Because it brings even more dishonor to God's name, and he hates God so much. And so we're to expect it. And you, just, you look throughout the breadth of Scripture and you see people who underwent temptations. What about Joseph, his Potiphar's wife, a well-known one? And that temptation in the form of Potiphar's wife came to him and he had a choice of whether or not he would take in that temptation, whether he would succumb to it or whether he would flee from it. And he literally fled from it. Or what about Moses with grumbling, unbelieving Israel? And you see later on he gave in to that temptation when he struck the rock in his anger. What about David with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba? We all know about that temptation. Or what about, as, as Joel has been preaching through the book of 1 Samuel, what about when Saul was in the cave? And David could have, could have killed him then and there and, and tried to take the throne. But he didn't give in to that temptation. What about Jesus in the wilderness of the devil, as we will see? He was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Or in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was tempted so greatly to not undergo the suffering that he knew that he should. Praise Christ that indeed he didn't give in to that temptation. All these were tempted. It's normal to have temptations. It's what we do with them that matters. But first I want you to see as well the source of temptation, what it isn't. Because we'll see what it is. But the source of temptation firstly isn't God. It isn't God. And when temptations come... Are you tempted to blame God? Are you tempted to the first thing that comes to your mind is, oh, why would God do this to me? And why do we do this? Because we don't want to shoulder the blame. We don't want the blame to sit squarely at our feet. We want it to go to somewhere else. You think of the first blame shifting in the Garden of Eden. What did Adam say? What did Adam say when he was confronted by God? Genesis 3.12, the man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. The woman you gave me to be with me. Can you see here? He's blaming God. And all God had done is he'd given him this perfect paradise and given him a helper suitable for him. He'd given him everything. And yet Adam had the gall to blame God. And when we are tested, when we are tempted, we are not to blame that temptation on God. Why? Well, the first reason, have a look at the text. For no one should say, God is tempting me, 
For God cannot be tempted by evil. That's the first reason. God cannot be tempted by evil. Why not? Because he's pure and he's holy. Habakkuk 1 verse 13 says, You who are of pure eyes than to see evil, look upon wrong. He's too pure to look upon wrong and to approve of it. Leviticus 19 verse 2 says this, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh your God, am holy. And if you read the Old Testament and all the instructions given to Israel, you read again and again, For I, the Lord, am holy. And all the priests and all the, the sacrifices they, they had to offer and, and all the people had, they had to do all these things so they would be a people holy to the Lord to reflect the holiness of their God. So God is holy. There is no internal sinful inclination in God. So God cannot be tempted by evil. He cannot because he cannot will or act contrary to his own nature. He cannot dishonor himself or deny himself by being tempted and giving into that temptation. God is light. 1 John says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Not even a little bit. No darkness at all. But what about Christ? What about Christ? In Mark 1.13 it says, And Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. So Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted, was he not? Hebrews 4.15 answers this question. Unspoken question. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so Jesus was tempted in a way like us, in every way, and yet there's one way in which he's not tempted like us. And I want, I want to teach you this morning about this, this distinction between, and it's important to understand this distinction between external temptations and internal temptations. And external temptations come from outside us. And it can be anything. Right? Like, the, like the, the worm on the hook for the fish. Right? It's dangling there in front of the fish. The fish hasn't taken up the bait yet. It's dangling there in front of the fish. Or the, the carrot underneath that, that trap. It's there. And we come across them all the time. Whether it's other co-workers with us. Whether it's someone who walks down the street. Whether it's someone who who cuts in on you in the traffic, whatever it is, and tempts us to be angry and to, to maybe even swear, whatever it is. But these external temptations don't necessarily mean that you've sinned. But an internal temptation is when our sinful inclinations and our sinful desires lay hold of that external temptation. And then when we lay hold of it, we cherish it. And then we sin in our actions and our thoughts and our words. Now, Jesus, and when we understand this distinction, we see that Jesus was tempted externally as we are. And much more than we are, because we give in at the drop of a hat. But the devil had to tempt Christ again and again and again. And yet, Jesus was without sin. So why was Jesus not internally tempted? Because he didn't have a sinful nature as we do. And so he was externally tempted as we are, yet not internally tempted because he does not have sin. He was free 
from that sin. And not only that, but he's also God. And just as we're talking about God as being pure and holy, so Christ, he has no internal sinful desires or motivations that lay hold of those external temptations and therefore lead to sinful actions. There's no corruption in Christ at all. He's a lamb, the Bible says, a lamb without blemish or spot or any such thing. Reason two, why is God not the source of our temptations? Why? God himself does not tempt anyone. What does it say? Nor does he tempt anyone. Again, because God has no sin in him, therefore he cannot act contrary to his nature. And so for God to incite us to evil directly would be dishonoring himself. It would, he, can't act, he can't do that because it would be outside his character. Now, God is sovereign over all things. And that's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Do we not lead us not into temptation? We don't pray, Lord, don't tempt us. We pray, Lord, do not lead us into temptation. Because the Lord in His sovereign plan ordains temptations and He permits it and allows it and indeed uses even the devil to tempt us. But the Lord Himself does not tempt us. Because the devil's plan is to incite us to sin. All the devil wants is for us to sin. But what the Lord wants is for us to be grown in holiness. For us to be weaned from sin. For us to see the, the danger and the deadliness and the seriousness of sin and how disgusting sin is. And God sovereignly uses temptations. He doesn't directly tempt us, as the scripture says here, but he uses it in his sovereign purposes and plans that we would be made less like sin and more like Christ in every way. Well, some examples of this in, in Matthew 4 verse 1. I, I mentioned before from Mark about Jesus being... Uh, Jesus being in the, the wilderness. Well, Matthew 4 verse 1, we get an extra little bit there given by Matthew. And it says this, Matthew 4 verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led by the Spirit. It was the purpose of God. What was the purpose? To be tempted by the devil. What was God's purpose? Was his purpose for Christ to sin? No. His purpose was that Christ would be victorious where we fail. Let me tell you, the devil failed miserably, did he not? He failed miserably. The devil's purpose was for Christ to sin, for him to put the Lord to the test, for him to, to bow down and worship Satan himself. And Christ won in every way. What about Abraham? Genesis 22 verse 1 to 3 says, After these things God tested Abraham. And said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. God tested Abraham so that his faith would be shown to be genuine. What would Abraham be tempted to do? He would be tempted to, to maybe to run away like Jonah. Maybe he'd be tempted to say, no, no, God, you wouldn't want this. No, you wouldn't want this. This is the son that you promised me. 
But no, his faith believed that God would keep his promises. His faith believed that God would even raise him from the dead. It says in Hebrews 11. But God tested Abraham to see whether his faith was an obedient faith. And it was. What about Job? God certainly tested Job. And in that time of testing, he was tempted by Satan. He was tempted by his wife. And he was tempted by his three friends. And by all those things that happened to him, what did Satan tempt Job with? He wanted him to curse God to his face. What did Job's wife tempt him with? Again, she wanted him to let go of his integrity and to curse God and die. Not a very good wife. What about Job's friends? Well, they tempted him to have wrong thoughts about God and they falsely accused him. And so God tested Job and he used, he sovereignly used these times of temptations to show Job once again of his power, his sovereign power and his goodness. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt anyone. And so when we suffer and when we also undergo temptations, we can never lay the blame on God. We cannot say God is tempting me. Do you grumble in times of suffering or times of tempting? Do you complain? And often we, we blame other things, even, even our upbringing, our gene pool maybe, the, the job that we're at. And it's not wrong to see all those things as external temptations. And often it's wise, depending on what it is, to, to, to remove ourselves from those temptations. And yet we cannot blame those things. The blame rests squarely in our hearts. And that's what we're going to see next. And if you, and I want to say this, if you blame your situation, if you blame your upbringing, whatever it is, you actually blame God. Because if you know that God's sovereign, He's put you there where you are at that moment. He's put you there. He's given you the family that He's given you. He's given you the gene pool. He's given you the, the abilities or the knowledge or the skills or whatever it is. We can even be tempted by good things and the gifts God gives us. But the blame must never go to God. And we must never grumble about God and what He's given us. No, we must always uphold the Lord as good and sovereign and never does any wrong to us. But what is, what is the source of temptation? Have a look with me. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. That word, those words, evil desire, this is a, a <clears throat> sometimes called a lust, a lust of the flesh. And this is a strong desire for something sinful. And you've, surely you've felt this. Well, we all have, we're all sinful. We felt this, this strong desire. When an external temptation comes, this, this, this evil desire. What out there? It says, by his own evil desire. The source of temptation isn't someone else's evil desire. The source of temptation isn't someone else's action. It's your own evil desire. You can't blame anyone else. It's your own fault because it's your own evil desires. It's my own evil desires. But look, look at the words there next. It says, dragged away and enticed. That word dragged away... Is that picture of, of wild animals that are, that, are, that are enticed and caught in a trap. 
They're drawn in by the bait, by an attractive bait nonetheless. And they're drawn in. They're caught in the trap. And ultimately they die. That word entice there, that's a word used often for fish being caught by, by bait and a hook. And often we use this word lure, right? Lure. We're lured into something. The fish is lured in. And we do it so we, 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 we get something yummy, right? Our purpose, you know, we, we want something yummy. But the fish sees it, does he not? The fish sees it. It's so yummy. So delicious. A little bit of worm. Fly, whatever, whatever it is. It looks good. And it's just, it's just dangling there right in front of me. I, I don't usually see it dangling. It's, it's, it's like it's served up to me on a platter. It looks so good, doesn't it? I mean, maybe I can take it. Maybe I'll just I'll taste it a little bit. Nothing bad will happen. Nothing wrong will happen. No other fish around me. Oh, maybe if there is, maybe I'm going to go for it even quicker. Lured away. Enticed. By our sinful desires. And in this illustration that James uses, well, the words that point to the illustration, the external temptation is the bait, the lure, the trap. And what's the internal temptation? The desire of the animal to have it, and our sinful desires to have it, whatever it is. Satan and the sinful world know how to beguile you, to allure you, to tempt you, to draw you in, to entice you. I mean, the devil's been doing this from the beginning. He knows how to trap you. He knows his way around. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He knows how to tempt you. He knows what, what you are particularly prone to. He's seen it. Or as, or as demons have. Matthew Henry says this. There is a great deal of violence done to conscience and to the mind by the power of corruption. Talking about the power of corruption in us. And there is a great deal of cunning and deceit and flattery in sin to gain us to its interests. Sinners who perish are wheedled and flattered to their own destruction. And this will justify God forever in their damnation that they destroyed themselves. Ultimately, the reason we go to hell, yes, God is sovereign, but the ultimate reason we go to hell is because of our own sin. We destroy ourselves. Ultimately, if if Christ didn't come, if the the Spirit of the living God didn't didn't give new life to our hearts, all we'd be doing is be, be flattered and enticed to hell. Now, a fish or another animal might not know that it's a trap. But we're given God's word here that we may know and watch out. And you can't say to yourself when, a, when an external temptation comes to you, well, maybe this time it will be okay. Maybe it won't be that bad. It will always be sinful. Oh, maybe no one will, will see me. That's why secret sins are so bad. Because we convince ourselves that no one sees us, even while God is right there with us. All sin does is promise us pleasure, and all it brings is pain and misery, and as we'll see, ruin. But once, brethren, once you know that that sin starts in the heart, 
That's where you put a stop to it. And once you realize that our internal temptation starts in our desires, we can watch our hearts closely. And so we must watch both out and in. But regardless, if we can't remove the external temptations, we would always watch our heart and our sinful desires. Watch out in this life for the baits, for the lures, for the enticements to sin. For there are many. There are many. And don't we long for heaven while there will be no more of these? There will be no more traps, no more lures, no more enticements. When so often we fail and we come to God again, and He's always willing to receive us, is He not? But how good will we be in heaven? No baits, no lures, no enticements to sin. But only Him who will forever make us without sin. Watch. Watch your hearts. As Jesus told his disciples in the garden, when Jesus himself was being tempted, what advice did he give to his disciples who were succumbing to that temptation to to sleep because their flesh was weak? He said, watch and pray. Watch and pray, brethren. Because temptations are many. Our sinful desires are so great so often. Watch and pray. But next we see the offspring of temptation, the offspring. Have a look in the verse 15. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And we see here this deadly progression of sin. It starts in the heart and there's a a flow. There's a natural progression if we don't put a stop to it. And there's two offspring mentioned here. Now, Now we understand the normal birthing process. A baby is conceived in the womb. And that baby takes usually about nine months, usually speaking, and then it comes out at the end. Out pops a baby with a bit of, bit of hard work and labor and pain. But a baby comes out, and it's a, it's a normal progress. But what's the first offspring we see here? Now, babies in real life are offspring that we want, right? But here we see offspring that we really don't want. We really, really don't want. Have a look at the first offspring. Offspring number one. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. That's the first offspring. Desire has a baby. Well, it conceives a child. And which when it is born, out pops sin. This is not a good looking baby. Out pops sin. Now, sin here is a sinful action or a sinful word. It's not saying that the desire isn't sinful. We've just seen that it is. Oh, this is the first offspring. Desire conceives a child, and when it's born, it gives birth to sin. And then we see the second offspring. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. The second offspring, this is two generations. Sin also has a child. When it's fully grown, what does sin have? Death. Death. And not just physical death, eternal death. Death separated from God, from, his, from the light of His gracious presence from all of eternity. Yes, God will be in hell. It won't be a, a gracious presence of God in hell. Eternal death. That's what sin ultimately leads to if it's left unchecked. But we see that desire has conceived. When desire is conceived. And this is what, is what happens when desire sees, sinful desire sees an external temptation... 
It receives it into the heart and it cherishes it. Instead of putting it to death straight away, it cherishes it. And like a little bit of food that we take in and we, we chew it around. You know there's that good food and we just kind of chew it around the mouth and we go, wow, so it's good. And we chew it around and we, you know, some of us bolt down food really quickly. I'm one of those. But when we, when we savor the morsel, and that's what when desire is conceived, that's, the, that's like the nine-month period before the baby is born. That's the cherishing of sin in the heart. Where sin, sorry, where a sinful desire conceives of a way to commit an action or to speak a word. When desire has conceived, this desire formulates a way that it may come out in the speech or in action. But what happens if this, if this sinful desire is not left, uh, is not restrained, it gives birth to sinful action? And what happens with the second offspring? Well, if someone commits a sin and they don't repent, and then they commit another sin, or they, well, we're always committing sins, but they're committing that sin further and further and further. And when this sin becomes a, a way of life and the whole course of a person's life, this is what the Bible says, it leads to death. It's not saying that we sin and, and, and therefore we'll automatically just, pff, that's it. No matter if you, you know, if you, if you thought you were a Christian, as soon as you sin once, pff, that's it. It's not saying that. But what it's saying is when it's fully grown, when you keep on sinning, and when that sin is is, is a major part of your life. When the, when the course of your life is one of sin, without repentance, you can be assured, the Bible is saying, that it will lead to death. It doesn't matter whether you thought you were a Christian before. And surely we've seen those people, friends or family, other people who we thought were Christians, they seem to be going well. And then they give in to sin and it keeps going and they give in to sin more and more and suddenly that sin takes over their life. Friends, all it's going to lead to is death. It doesn't matter whether you thought they were a Christian or they thought they were a Christian. The Bible's witness is if they give in to sin and they never repent, it leads to death. It leads to death. I'll give you an example from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 5, and to see this, this process of desire and then a sinful action or, or, or word and leading in death. Proverbs 5, verse 1 to 5, it says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and that your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to hell. Pardon me, to Sheol, which as we know, if you follow your sin, leads to hell. What's the external temptation here? It's the adulteress. The adulteress with her look, with her, the way she dresses or the way she speaks. The way she dresses, the way she speaks. Even as we, we read this, this speaks to the necessity of modesty, does it not? In our speech, in the way we dress. And particularly here, if I can say for women, in the way you dress, in the way you speak, there needs to be utmost modesty. Not that you necessarily intentionally trying to be an external temptation, 
But we must seek to always honour and glorify God and to be intentional. Whether lest you be an unintentional external temptation. But men, I think here specifically, we're the ones who are enticed and allured by this type of sin even more. And it doesn't matter what external temptations there are. Our responsibility is to stop that sin before it lays hold of any, any temptation to sin. We need to be pure in our thoughts, in our desires, and to be self-controlled in every single way. But eventually this man in Proverbs 5, he gives in to his sinful desires and he commits adultery with this woman and all she ends up being is to him bitterness and a sharp double-edged sword. Left unchecked, this man would continue in this way until he dies. Not just physically, but separated from God for all of eternity. That's the way of sin when it's left unchecked. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. If you have one of the black Bibles, that can be found on page 1000. Mark chapter 9, 1001. Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 48. Mark chapter 9, page 1001, but starting at verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Can you see the connection there? If you don't stop that temptation, you will go to unquenchable fire. So as Jesus said, cut it off. Pluck it out. He doesn't mean literally, but he means take radical, costly steps so that you will stop sin in your heart. Or that's where you'll end up. The Bible doesn't pull its punches. That's where you will end up. In hell forever. And so if if you're here and you're unsaved, see, this is where you end up. Without Christ, this is where you end up. This is all your sin leads to, is destruction. You love your sin. And all this sin gets you, it promises pleasure, and all it gives you is destruction. That's a pretty poor outcome, if you ask me. Repent, turn away from your sin. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other remedy for sin. You cannot fix it yourself. All you're going to do is be more tempted and and go more down the pathway of sin. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent. And He will wash away every sin. 
And then when you're saved, He will pray for you every single day of your life till you get to heaven, that your faith may not fail. Turn away from your sin and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're here and you profess Christ, and, you, and you, you, you've, you've seen that you've been following Christ for a while, and yet you're living in sin now, don't be foolish. Right? If you're living in sin now, don't be foolish. Don't play around with sin. Don't play around with sin. Don't kid yourself. Sin makes us stupid. Don't, don't play around with it. Don't let it grow any more than it has. And don't let it give birth to more than it should. Again, repent. Repent of, we should be repenting of every known sin. There's so much sin we don't see, but if you're living in sin, repent. Don't put it off. Turn to God in repentance. Is there any sin now that you're cherishing? Is there any sin now that, that you're playing around with in your heart? Any sin that you're lessening and you go, it's, it's, it's not too bad? Don't cherish that sin. Put it to death. I need to, you need to. This is serious. I praise God we have a God who will always bring his people to repentance. Just like he did with David and Bathsheba. Brethren, what an encouragement. God always brings his people to repentance. But for you, your job is to repent and to come to God. Well, next, lastly, we see the verse 16, the, the deception of temptation. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Or better translated, beloved brothers or beloved brethren. James loves them so much and love warns of danger, does it not? If Eli ran onto the road, I, well, right now I couldn't warn him, he wouldn't, he wouldn't know what to do, but when he's older, I'm sure going to warn him. Love warns of danger, and that's what James does here, and that's what I'm doing now. Beloved brethren, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by Satan or by your own sinful desires, by whatever it is from our passage, attributing your temptation to God. Don't be deceived by the devil to do that. And don't be deceived to, to lighten your sin. Don't be deceived to think that that sin is merely outside and not inside. Don't be deceived to think that you can just play around with sin just a little bit. Don't be deceived, brethren. But watch and pray. Warn one another of sin. Encourage one another. Point each other to God for repentance. Point each other to Christ, who alone, His, His sacrifice alone is always available to cover every single sin. And where we fail again and again with our temptations, Christ never failed. He's perfect. And His sacrifice is perfect forever to cover every temptation that you fail with. Again and again and again. May we honor the Lord in the way we deal with sin. May we honor the Lord as we, as we watch our hearts, as we seek Him always in repentance. Let's come before our God in prayer. Let's pray. Oh, precious Lord, may we never blame You Lord, you are pure and holy in everything you do, 
is good. And Lord, any time of testing is good for us. And every, every temptation, Lord, that you sovereignly ordain, Lord, is for our good to, to push us further and further to heaven, as it were. To wean us off this world. Please, Lord, help us to watch, to be watchful over our hearts, to be watchful for the many temptations that are around us, but particularly the temptations that reside in our hearts with our evil desires. Oh, Lord, please. Let your Spirit show us these sins that lie, lie unrepented of. And may we speedily and quickly always repent of them. Oh, God, please, for your glory and the glory of Christ. Oh, precious Lord, for those here who are unsaved, Lord, we do pray that they would see that all their sin leads to is death. All their sin leads to is suffering for all of eternity. Oh, Lord, it is your great love that you warn sinners in Scripture of this, that they might turn from their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, please. Draw sinners to yourself this morning. May they see their sin and may they see Christ, who is perfect in every way, and who will save all who come to him by faith. Oh, precious Lord, we pray these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.